Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Tennis Podcast. My name is Nick. I'm Brandon. Brandon, we made it to the big 4-4, the, the mecca of independent podcast goals. Is this the point at which you can go into syndication, make that syndication money? Yeah. But yeah, we made it to the big 4-4 and uh, we're here to talk about top 10 lists. Brandon, tell them how the fucking show works. The show works where one of us is bringing a list, a top 10 list, usually 10 items. Could be the greatest presidents, could be the worst presidents, could be the best selling albums of all time. The other person brings nothing, tries to guess the list, and you, the listener, can guess the list along with the list guesser. That should be perfectly clear now. Great job. Yeah. I mean, nailed it. I brought today's list. Today, we are talking about the top 10 best selling singles of all time. Singles? Singles. Like music. Singles. Single slices of cheese. <laughs> now, these are the best selling singles as in a, uh, a single song, you know, when a yeah. artist released a song for radio airplay, that's uh, often released as a single, sometimes with a B-side. These are the best selling singles in history, but we are specifically talking about the best selling physical singles. No digital. No digital. Although the digital list is kind of interesting. These are mainly CD and vinyl. Okay. These are singles where instead of going to, well, what we, what we now know about iTunes, it sounds like it's going away. When you go to iTunes and you pay 99 cents and download one song, that is, it used to be that if you wanted one song, you could go to Best Buy or your record store and purchase just that song instead of the entire album. So, that's one way you need to think about this is that these are songs in which someone would maybe not want to buy a whole album, but just want to listen to that song over and over because they love it so much. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you were going into record stores, the hot single of the week or the month would be on display like right at the register, right? Right. Best Buy used to have a section for hot singles, (laughs) hot singles to, you know, to meet and, and chat. For like the hottest single issues, you, like I said, an A and a B side, usually sometimes two or three tracks uh, once they went to CDs. And if you just like that song, you could buy just that song and it was, I don't know, four or five, sometimes six dollars, just kind of a rip off. Not only if you just like that song, but maybe you just wanted a taste of that artist before. Or a sampling of that artist, correct. Yeah. Okay. So, then is it safe to assume that the majority of this list is going to be pre-2000s? Correct. There is nothing on the top 10 list that was released after the year 2000. Now, the top digital downloads is interesting in that all of them were released more recently than 2011 and it just seems to be it's more based on the amount of people (laughs) that are alive and downloading music. Uh, The number one best-selling digital single of all time is Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. There are too many people alive, aren't there? Of all the, so- the top 10 best-selling digital singles, I recognize two of them, Uptown Funk and Call Me Maybe. <sighs> Call Me Maybe, Mike. Four-year-old loves that song. Okay. Maybe we'll save that for another list. What, what is your primary source for your top 10 today? The, it's uh, the Wikipedia, Wikipedia article, List of Best-Selling Singles, which is comprised of, uh, cited by a reliable, it's cited by reliable sources from various media such as digital journalism, newspapers, magazines, and books. Do you need to take a break? Do we need to take a breather, Brandon? Hmm, I'm good. Are we going too fast for you? 
you're doing okay over there. I'm just a tongue-tied, slack-jawed yokel over here. Yeah. No argument there. All right, I'm going to get through. This is, let me tell you, this is a difficult list, but you're going to learn a lot. Okay. And I have some good clues. The Beatles. Something from the Beatles. There are no Beatles. Shocking. Interesting. The Beatles do not crack the top 10 best-selling singles. Well, you know, I think singles might be something that didn't really come into play as much. The, the Beatles definitely did make like the top 20, but a lot of people wanted to buy the Beatles album because all of, they loved all the songs. Ice Ice Baby. Ice Ice Baby is not up here. Well, then that's it. I'm out of guesses. Okay. 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 Is it mostly pop or rock or what? There is a mix between songs released before 1950 and those released between maybe 1970 and the 90s that are rock and pop. If it's before 1950, I'm not going to guess it. Two of the songs released before 1950, you most definitely know and you most definitely hear them every year, multiple times. Christmas. During Christmas season. Okay. The Jingle Bell Rock? No. Think the most classic Christmas songs. Walking Winter Wonderland, whatever the no. hell that's called. Walking in a Winter Wonderland is, a, is up there, but it's not in the top 10 and it's also a specific recording. Is it Elvis? It's not. The Elvis one? Elvis holds some positions in the top 10, but no Christmas songs. Jesus Christ. Okay, you're starting to piss me off, Brandon, honestly. Most famous Christmas song that I haven't already said. It's a secular Christmas song, so it doesn't mention the Lord. <laughs> That's probably why I didn't listen it's to it. It's sung by a crooner. I don't know. Well, it's the number one on the list. <laughs> okay. All right, let me try here. Male or female? Male. You assume their gender? Pretty safe to assume his gender. Bing Crosby? It is Bing Crosby. What is the song? What is that song? He holds two positions in the top 10 and both of them are Christmas songs. What is his Christmas song? Like, I know it. I just... One of them is a, is a religious standard one and that's not this one. This one is a secular song. It has the word Christmas in the title. A specific kind of Christmas. White Christmas? White Christmas. The best-selling physical single of all time. And it also outsells digital, the best-selling digital single is White Christmas by Bing Crosby. It sold 50 million units since 1942. Jesus Christ. It was written by Irving Berlin, a Jewish-American songwriter. White Christmas was noted that the mix of melancholy with lyrics like, just like the ones I used to know, with comforting images of home, such as where the treetops glisten resonated especially strongly with listeners during World War II. Do you agree, Brandon, as someone that lived through World War II? <laughs> I uh, actually have an example in a moment that I do. I think kind of illustrates it. Uh, the, it was also featured in the Bing Crosby film White Christmas, which was the highest grossing film of 1954 and also a Christmas classic, contributing to its popularity. Now, according to Bing Crosby's nephew, Howard, Howard says, he says, I once asked Uncle Bing about the most difficult thing he ever had to do during his entertainment career. He said in December 1944, he was in a USO show with Bob Hope and the Andrews sisters. They did an outdoor show in northern France. He had to stand there and sing White Christmas with 100,000 GIs in tears without breaking down himself. Of course, a lot of those boys were killed in the Battle of the Bulge a few days later. God. And I think that's interesting, especially because of that comforting image of home lyric where the treetops glisten uh, is kind of, it makes me kind of feel weird about it now thinking about the Battle of the Bulge which was fought in a forest covered in snow except the treetops were exploding 
Well, you know, people come to this podcast to uh, be reminded of the horrible fucking things in the world, not as an escapism. I have. So, this is great. I've done a lot of work to tie each and every one of these songs to something will hopefully ruin it forever for you. <laughs> okay. Great. So, do you want to try to guess the other Bing Crosby Christmas song that is in the top 10 best-selling singles? <sighs> I... It mentions the little baby Jesus. I don't know it. Silent Night. Uh, Silent Night. Can you sing that for us? I will not. Silent Night is number four, fourth highest selling single of all time, 30 million in sales since 1935. Now, Silent Night itself, very boring song, we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. Bing Crosby on the other hand, very interesting guy. He was married twice and he had four sons. After his death, his oldest son wrote a highly critical memoir depicting his father as a cruel, remote, cold man, physically and psychologically abusive. Uh, Bing would refer to his son as Satchel Ass. <laughs> I mean, that sucks for his son, but... Or Bucket Butt. <laughs> Was he overweight? Yeah. or my, son? Or my fat-assed kid. Oh, my God. When introducing him to his cronies at the studio. Yeah, I don't remember any of the fat-ass kid lyrics in his Christmas songs. <laughs> I'm dreaming of my Satchel Ass kid. He used to weigh his son every Tuesday. And if he weighed too much, he got spanked bare-assed with a belt until he bled. God. And he said his father showed no emotion and no loss of self-control during this. But this is the guy singing about your white Christmas? Oh, it gets better. And by better, I mean much worse. Two of his sons, including uh, the one who wrote that highly critical memoir, died in 1989 and 1991. Both of them by suicide from a self-inflicted gunshot wound at ages 51 and 56, respectively. Bing Crosby had established a blind trust in which none of his sons received an inheritance until they reached the age of 65. Why? I don't know. By the time you're 65, you can't, I mean... They, he was also an alcoholic, so they probably inherited, they inherited some bad genes, plus he abused the shit out of them. Two of them shot themselves to death before they could even make it to the age in which they received their inheritance from the guy who has two of the best-selling singles of all time. Isn't that crazy? See, it's shit like this because nobody talks about this with Bing Crosby. Well, you heard it here first or you read it on Wikipedia. Okay, I'm going to use Michael Jackson as an example. And I know that allegations against Jackson are different than the allegations against Crosby. Mm -hmm. But you can't talk about Michael Jackson anymore without the first or second next thing being about his sexual abuse. Because all that information about Bing Crosby came at a time when people were still like, well, sometimes people beat people. Right. Yeah. You could go your whole life talking about Bing Crosby and loving his music without ever knowing this stuff. Well. Whereas Michael Jackson can't escape it. And I'm not saying he should escape it. I'm just saying the difference there is interesting. Now, every Christmas when you hear these two songs, you'll think of either G.I.'s dying in the Battle of the Bulge or Bing Crosby's sons dying of self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Do you know what the worst Christmas song ever is? All I Want for Christmas is You? No. What is it called? It's, it's that one that says, last Christmas I gave you my heart, the very next day you threw it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. I don't, I've, it sounds vaguely familiar but it does No, suck. you know the song. That song makes me want to jump off the tallest building I can find. And right onto a road cone? That song, I hate it and if you like that song, just unsubscribe from our show. 
please. So, you've got number one and number four. I'm nailing it so far. Yeah. So, the rest is 70s through 90s, right? Some. There are a few that are, there's one in the, it's one from 1960, one from 1939. Let's do Elvis, which is, um, you ain't nothing but a hound nope. dog. Hound dog is not on here. Jailhouse Rock. Nope. Elvis has one on here. And it's not the Christmas one, you already said. It's not the Christmas one. Came out in 1960. It was his biggest international single. Let me tell you something about this song while you're thinking of it. It sold 20 million since it came out in 1960. Barry White, you know, the guy who sings like, can't get enough of your love. Uh-huh. Barry White credited this song as his inspiration for changing his life and becoming a singer following his release from prison. Can't get enough of you, babe. Did you know Barry White, Barry White went to jail? No. He was jailed for four months at the age of 16 for stealing $30,000 worth of Cadillac tires. You're just ruining everyone's heroes today. That's what I was thinking about when I was going through this list. Everybody already knows about Elvis and died fat on a toilet and all that stuff. But you didn't know that Barry White went to prison at the age of 16 for stealing $30,000 worth of Cadillac tires. Name that song. <laughs> this is not one of the mo- I would. This yeah, isn't I, the I, first I, song that I think of when I think of Elvis. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. It's now or never. Okay. Because the songs I mentioned before are like the only songs I know by heart. Yeah. From, okay. It's Now or Never is the name of the song. Interesting. Uh, did you know that I once read, and this was years, years ago, so I don't know anymore, but it stuck with me. I read that Elvis Presley was the most recognizable human in the history of the world. Uh, among people currently living. Right. Yeah, I could see that. So, in other words, of all the people alive on earth today, more of them can name Elvis by his picture than any other celebrity. We had to send a celebrity to represent us to aliens, it would have been Elvis. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, is the die on the toilet thing a myth or is that a fact? Nah, I think it's a fact. Yeah. That's where he was at when he died. Well, so good times. Yeah, good times. Uh, Barry White, is he on there? Barry White is not on. Okay, so 1939, I won't get that one. No, let me try let me just go ahead and fill you in on that one. There's no way you'll get this one. Hang on, hang on. What number was Elvis? That was number seven. Number nine is If I Didn't Care by The Ink Spots. Have you ever heard of The no. Ink Spots before? No. The Ink Spots were uh, an African-American group who sold 19 million copies of If I Didn't Care since its release in 1939. You might recognize their song. They do those kind of old-timey songs that now sound a little bit creepy. Do you remember in the promos for Fallout 4 mm-hmm. and, and also during the game itself, you could hear the song, I don't want to set the world on yep. fire. That's, yep. They sing that song. Is that this song? No, it uh, sounds very similar but it's called If I Didn't Care and it's about like a, a love or a lover or something. Also, that song is I believe the one that was playing in Shawshank Redemption when Andy discovers uh-huh. his wife with another man. Well, what would you say if I told you if I didn't care about this song? I didn't either. I wasn't even aware of this song. And I, despite the research I did, I could not find a great explanation of why this particular song is in the top selling physical singles of all time. Although some, I, I, I try to do, re, you know, research into exactly why. This one, I, I don't know what's exactly set it apart. It's a mystery. We'll never know. We'll never know. And if I didn't care, that's fine. So, now that we got the boring ass songs out of the way, let's talk 70s to 90s, right? Yep. Rock band. 
Don't leave out. There's one. There is a rock song from 1954. Oh, okay. Am I going to know it? Yeah, you've most certainly heard it before. When you think of 1950s Converse and jeans with the cuffs rolled up and poodle skirts and kids like dancing at a, yeah, you know, at drinking milkshakes and shit, this song is like completely associated with that. Baby Got Back? <laughs> no. Also used as the original opening song to Happy Days. Monday, Tuesday, Happy Days. Wednesday, so Thursday, Happy Days. That's not the original opening. For the first two seasons, it was a very similar sounding song that was the actual song released in 1954. My Humps by Black Eyed Peas? I don't know. No I don't know. I'm sure I'll know it once you say it, but I cannot think of Rock it. Rock Around the Clock by Rock Bill Haley. Rock Around the Clock. You know, like... Let's hear it. Uh, one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Yeah. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. That's Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and his comments. It's the fifth best-selling physical single Man. in history. 25 million copies since its release in 1954. This song, this list sucks. <laughs> Why? Because you can't guess it? <laughs> now, Haley's recording became an anthem for rebellious 1950s youth and it's... <laughs> what? The song is so happy and like... I know, rebe rebels. <laughs> Uh, th times have changed. What time is it? It's rock and roll time. Oh, these kids and their their devil blasted rock and roll. They're telling time by rock and roll. <laughs> uh, so, it's widely considered to be the song that more than any other brought rock and roll into mainstream culture around the world. It's ranked number 158 on the stupid ass Rolling Stone magazine mm -hmm. list of 500 greatest songs of all time. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Bill Haley. Listener of the show. Bill Haley was a pioneer of rock and roll, clearly, but he battled alcohol until his death. He was a popular touring act. He and the Comets were a popular touring act throughout the 1970s, especially in Europe. And in 1980, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor after, quote, taking a fit and not recognizing anyone after. So, he moved back home and moved out to his pull house where his drinking became worse and his family wouldn't see him for days. He would behave bizarrely even when not drinking, calling up old friends late at night to ramble semi-coherently before dying in 1980. And that's Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and his comments. What time on the Rock Around the Clock clock did he die in 1980? Fucking stroke of rock and roll midnight. <laughs> <laughs> we need Henry Zabrowski. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bill Haley, Rock Around the Clock. Great. I'm really happy he made the list. Now, I see on this list a song from 1997, a song from 1970, and one from 1992, 1985, and 1977. There's one from 1977 that if you knew anything about this song, I'll cut my foot off. All right. Let's go. Let's get... I got scissors over here. Number 10 on the list, the 10th biggest selling physical single of all time. Are you familiar with the band Bakara? Bakara. Yeah, I have a tattoo of their logo on my face. You haven't noticed it? So, I'm talking about the Spanish vocal duo Bacara. Bacara mm -hmm. released the 10th biggest, the best-selling physical single in history titled, Yes, Sir, I Can Boogie. No, that didn't happen. Yes, Sir, comma, I Can Boogie. Nope. It sold 18 million copies since its release in 1977. This isn't real life. It is a standard shitty disco song that was somehow a major hit across Europe and the duo's only number one single in the UK. It did not chart at all in the United States. This vocal, Spanish vocal duo was composed of Spanish flamenco dancers 
Nate Mateos and Maria Mignola. Uh -huh. Of course, yeah. They were discovered on the island of Fuerteventura by RCA record exec Leon. <laughs> so, an RCA, RCA records executive took a vacation to the Spanish island of Fuerteventura and saw a couple of hot Spanish flamenco dancers and said, uh -huh. I have, can you boogie? And they said, See, sí, sir, we can boogie. And he said, You called me that a yes, sir, we can boogie. And you got a number one hit on your hand. Now, are you sure he wasn't looking at actual hot flamingos? You said <laughs> a hot. It's a couple of pink flamenco dancers. Mm. Did I say flamingo? They're not flamingo dance. Okay. Anyway, I listened to the song earlier today. Tell us about it. Just a shitty disco song where the lyrics are about a man questioning this woman. Can she dance all night? Can she boogie? Yeah. Are you able? The song, the title is a spoiler. To dance your way through the night. And she says, yes, sir. I can boogie. Yes, sir. I can boogie all night. <laughs> and does she have proof? Can we verify? I assume she boogies that ass all night. Whoa. The song is only like three minutes long. Hot take. She could at least keep it up for three minutes, the duration of the song. Yeah. Okay. So, give me the years of the other songs. 1997, 1970, 1992, and 1985. Let's concentrate on these one at a time. Okay. Because number three, again, I will be, I know you have heard this song, but I was so fucking shocked. So, goddamn gobsmacked, flabbergasted. Godsmack. Befuddled. No. <laughs> I honestly would have been just as surprised if, no, if number three on this list was by Godsmack. Do you know the band Mungo Jerry? Oh, yeah. I have their tattoo on The my other ass. side of your face. Yeah. You've never heard the band named Mungo Jerry? No. Are they an ice cream brand? Kind of like Ben and Jerry's? No. They are a band, a British rock band, and their debut single was titled In the Summertime. It came out in 1970. Do you know the song In the Summertime? That's my ringtone. It probably is a lot of older dudes' ringtones, but I do know this song. Uh, I'd heard it before on like classic rock radio and it's also on the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 soundtrack. Okay. It's in the summertime when the weather is hot. Oh, you yeah. You can stretch right up. You know, it's kind of a goofy song. You got women, you got women on your mind. That, <laughs> that fucking song is the third biggest selling single of all time. Okay. Okay. I can dig it. That does not blow your mind. Sure, but that all, this song? entire list has blown my mind. So, I wanted to- All around the rock and roll clock, my clock has been cleaned. On this one, I did find some information about why this was such a best-selling physical single. Because people used to be stupider? This one was released in 1970 as something called a maxi single. It was a little bit larger than a normal single. It was played at 33 and a third RPM on your record player rather than 45, which was what the normal norm was for a single. Uh, regular singles had one track on side A and maybe another track on side B. Maxi single had at least one track on the A side and two and sometimes more tracks on the B side. It also was sold in a sleeve with a picture on it and it was only cost a few pence more than the normal 45 RPM. So, it was a good value for the money and that is a big part of what pushed this one up the charts, at least in the UK, because they kind of had a an interesting marketing scheme around it. Is this a British uh, act? 
Musician? British rock band, Mungo Jerry. Why didn't everybody do that then? If that makes... Uh, Well, I guess it probably only worked once, maybe, uh, because it was kind of a special deal. I'm not sure. But another thing about this song that I've always been a little uncomfortable with says, when the weather's fine, you got women, you got women on your mind. Have a drink, have a drive, go out and see what you can find. (laughs) It's like, hey man, you think about women? Get a little drunk, do a little (laughs) driving, drive around thinking about women. Which sounds not only like a dangerous thing, but a very creepy thing to do. And then the song goes on and he says, If her daddy's rich, take her out for a meal. If her daddy's poor, just do what you feel. The hell does that mean? Kill her? No, he means if it's a girl whose father could give you money, you would treat her right and respectful, take her out for dinner. Okay. If her daddy was poor, you would just start, you know, trying to grab her boob in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, interesting take on the dating scene. In the Summertime by Mungo Jerry. Number three, the 30 million copies sold. What is it with British musicians sounding American when they sing? I don't know. I think the accent doesn't come across quite as harsh. Also, related second point. Have you noticed that the Brits are taking over fucking Hollywood these days? Every show I like on TV... Mm-hmm. I'll watch like a behind the scenes or a documentary and every actor is fucking British and you don't even have any idea during the show. Yeah. I don't know. Spider-Man's British. There's no way an American could pull off a convincing British accent for an entire show. No. Look at Keanu Reeves in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. You wish me to stay longer, Count. All right. There's your uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula reference for the for the episode. I think we're being chased by a vampire. That was Keanu Reeves' British accent. I hate it. I hate it. So, these other songs on here. Start, okay, let's go. Are there any 90s. of these that I can actually guess? Yes. Think of in the early 90s, one of the biggest goddamn songs. It was part of a movie. It was all over the place. Pop? Remake of, a, of an older song. Slightly older song. You got to give me something more than that. It was in a big hit movie. What kind of movie? Animated? No, a romance movie with Kevin Costner. Oh, I don't think I saw it. Uh, and, was it Dancing with Wolves? You didn't? No, it wasn't Dancing with Wolves. The movie was The Bodyguard. No, I did not see it. The singer was Whitney Houston. Oh, my! What, is it My Heart Will Go On? No, that's not. That's fucking Titanic. Uh, what, is, uh, what is Whitney Houston? My Heart Will Go On is number 11 on the list. See, I was testing you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know this. Well, I don't know anything about Whitney Houston. I know that her last name is the name of a town in Texas. Right. And also, she died smoking crack in the tub. Mm-hmm. I Will Always Love You, the remake of the Dolly Parton song. Do you not remember that song at all? Yeah, it's, I do. Now that, yeah, I do. Well, everybody knows that song. But what you might not have known is that it was Kevin Costner's idea to use that song in that movie. And it was also Kevin Costner's idea for her to start that song out a cappella and then have the band come in. So, I don't know in what capacity Kevin Costner was like making all these ideas and people were listening to him. Yeah. People should fucking listen to Kevin Costner all the time now. Now? He's well, dead is, ass right on both of those. This is 20 something years ago. How do we know he still has the same, the same mojo? He still has that same wrinkly look in his eye. Well, what's all, I mean, I can't even think of the last good Kevin Costner film I saw. That one that came out on Netflix recently with Woody Harrelson looks good. Oh, yeah. It does look good. Hey, by the way, what number is this song? That song, 
I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston is number six. It has sold 20 million physical copies since its release in 1992. Now, there are two more on this list. Okay, there's two more, so I need number two and number eight. You're sure Mbop's not on here? Mbop is not on here. The two that are left on here are both associated with like big news events or were big in the news. Now, number eight, let's start with number eight. I think it's the one that's slightly tougher. It was released in 1985. And the best clue I can give you is it has everybody who was a big celebrity in 1985 sings on this song, as in more than a dozen people. Everyone who was a big celebrity. So, you had all of the Living Beatles, you had all okay, of Led no, Zeppelin, all true. of Pink Floyd, every NBA player, uh, every living president. Uh, it was also famously parodied by Saturday Night Live and is one of the few very funny sketches, I think, from the mid-80s. It was done to benefit African famine relief. Oh, oh, uh, that song. Afri- um, God, I know the song because I just, I was yeah. seeing something about it the other day. The group that came together called themselves USA for Africa. What's that called? We Are the World. Yeah, okay. We Are the World by USA for Africa is the eighth best-selling physical single. Sold 20 million since 1985. The idea for the creation of an American benefit single for African famine relief came from activist and singer Harry Belafonte. It was written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. And the list of singers on here, I just had to bookmark the wiki page because it's long and strong. Long and strong, just like your hot dog eating game. So, it was conducted by Quincy Jones. The soloists who sing on it are Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers, James Ingram, Tina Turner, Billy Joel, Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, Dionne Warwick, Willie Nelson, Al Jarreau. Willie Nelson. Bruce Springsteen, Kenny Loggins, Steve Perry, Daryl Hall, Huey Lewis, Cindy Lauper, Kim Carnes, Bob Dylan, and Ray Charles. Those are just the soloists. Holy shit. The chorus also included Dan Aykroyd, <laughs> the Ghostbuster. Harry mm-hmm. Belafonte, Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac, Sheila E., Bob Geldof, a bunch of the other Jacksons, including Randy and Tito, Waylon Jennings, Bette Midler, Oates from Hall and Oates, the Pointer Sisters, and Toby Smokey McGuire. Robinson. Toby Maguire in there? Toby Maguire was an infant, but he was there. So, if all those people are in that song, then this has to be the best song ever recorded, right? No, it was the constant repetition of there's a choice we're making conflates with Pepsi's trademarked the choice of a new generation in a way that on the part of the Pepsi contracted songwriters, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie is certainly not intentional and even more certainly beyond the realm of serendipity. Serendipity. Yeah. uh, What a great word that's not used enough. It was also, I mean, there's, it also goes on about how like it was popular with I mean, like dummies, but it is, according to music critic and Bruce Springsteen biographer Dave Marsh, We Are the World is not widely accepted within the rock music community. <laughs> well, no shit, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that is a hot take, Brandon. But what, what that critic you mentioned, I do put a lot of stock in what he said though, because he does have a hell of an ass. Who, Dave Marsh or Bruce yeah. Springsteen? Dave Marsh. He's known for that. Bruce Springsteen, that's America's ass. Sure. The boss. Number two, what year? 1997. And it's not Celine Dion. It's not. I know you're going to get this. 
This one I'm confident you can get. 97. Think back to 1997. There's a big... Backstreet Boys? There's a tragedy in 1997. Princess Diana? Yes. What is the song, though? Think back. She had a funeral. Yeah, uh... I guess I'm not, I'm not as well versed in Princess Diana. It's not, you don't have to know much about Princess Diana to not know this song. I, I, I feel like I still hear it every time I go to the grocery store. Give me something here. It's a remake of a song he released in 1974 or which was originally about Marilyn Monroe. There are people right now who are screaming at their, <laughs> at their eye device. This song was almost inescapable and still is almost inescapable. Okay, I'm sure I'll know you it. your life like a candle in the wind. That's number two. Candle in the Wind is the second best-selling physical single in history. And this was 1997, so this is at the tail end of people buying CDs. People yeah. went out and bought this single. Now, I will say there is a really good reason for people to go out and purchase a physical single. So, Candle in the Wind, 1997 by Elton John has sold 33 million physical copies since its release in 1997. It was written by Elton John and his longtime collaborator, Bernie Taupin. Uh-huh. Writing for president now. No, I'm, I'm... Do you know about his writing partner, Bernie? This is really interesting. No. They, the way they worked together, they did not meet and wouldn't work together in person for a long time. This guy, Bernie, writes the lyrics to his song and he will send them by mail to Elton John who just gets like a poem written down. And he puts the music to it. You think that's an amazing way to work together? How'd this even start? I have no idea. I think they might have been like almost set up like a uh, like a blind date kind of thing. Like you should try writing with this performer or, or something like that. I, I don't know. I just read it from the wiki page. But yeah, they don't sit in the same room and that's the way they're... I, n- I never would have guessed that most Elton John songs just started out as the lyrics. They all sound like they are such a... The lyrics and the music are... Were right. written as one. Right. Anyway, uh, Candle in the Wind was originally written that same way and then I'm not sure how they rewrote and re-recorded it. Uh, I would guess probably in a similar way since that's how they work together. Anyway, Elton John was close friends of Princess Diana who if you didn't know, died in 1997. The paparazzi were hounding her and her boyfriend in a limousine in Paris and they went through a tunnel and they had a, an accident and she died. Elton John was close friends with her. Diana had comforted Elton John earlier that summer, that same summer, 1997, at another funeral, at another of his close friends, Gianni Versace. Versace, yeah. Gianni Versace, who you probably remember, you sicko pervert, was murdered by spree killer Andrew Philip Cunanan. Mm -hmm. So, in that same summer, Elton John lost two of his best friends, one to a murderer and the other one to a horrific car accident. Which makes me feel even more for him. Anyway, he publicly performed the song only once at her funeral. He said he'll never perform it again unless he is asked by her sons, which I think is probably appropriate. But I had this weird feeling while I was reading it like, oh, it feels weird he would make the number two best-selling single of all time inspired by his friend's death and like reap the profits. But true to what you would imagine about Elton John, all artist and composer royalties and record company profits were donated to Diana's charities via the Diana Princess of Wales Memorial Fund. Wow. So, that's that's great. Yeah, that's great news. The second best-selling single of all time, All Profits, went to charity and the best-selling single of all time, White Christmas, 
that money went to a man who beat his children so badly that they committed suicide before they could inherit that money. What happened to that money then in the end? You, any idea? I, I hope that they dug being up and then uh, put the money in there with them. Uh, well, I so think let, we, yeah, go back through the top 10 here. Let's run through this dark, disturbing top 10. The 10th best-selling physical single in history, Yes Sir, I Can Boogie by Baccarat. Number nine, If I Didn't Care by The Ink Spots. And we don't care. No, we didn't. Number eight, We Are the World by USA for Africa. Number seven, It's Now or Never by Elvis. Number six, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Or Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and his comments. Number four, Silent Night by Bing Crosby. Number three, In the Summertime by Mungo Jerry. Number two, Candle in the Wind 1997 by Elton John. And number one, White Christmas by Bing Crosby. Congrats, Bing. Well, you know, I got to say that I feel smarter and sadder after hearing this list. That is exactly what I was going for. Brandon, this has been a hell of a ride, a hell of a journey. I always love learning new things with you. Thank you and you're welcome. If you haven't already, be sure to follow the Tennis Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tennis Pod. And you can catch up on past episodes at TennisPod.com. And Brandon, next week, we made it to the Big 4-4. Let's see if we can hold on for just seven more days. Do you think we can hold on to the big four or five? We're going to have to. Hold on or burst. When we get to episode 45, we're going to answer the fucking living ass shit out of questions submitted by you, the listeners. If you haven't already, now's the time. You need to go right now to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TennisPod. Send us questions right there or TennisPod at gmail.com. We will answer your question no matter what the hell it is on next week's 45th Or episode. your favorite animals. Oh, Send man. me your favorite animals at equal co-host E-Q-U-A-L-C-O-H-O-S-T on Twitter. Send me your favorite animals. And if your favorite animal is not a monkey, then just get the fuck out. Okay? Send it anyway, but yeah, get the fuck out. My name's Nick. I'm Brandon. He's Brandon. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.